The scripture reading this evening is Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. So I invite you to turn there and look at your copy of the scriptures. And let us also stand for the reading of God's word, Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Let us hear now the word of God. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated, and uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer now. Our God and Father, we thank you for all that you have taught us through the, the gospel of Luke as we Now come to the final concluding passages of the Gospel of Luke. I ask that you would open up this Scripture to us, just as the Lord Jesus on that day opened the Scriptures to those disciples. I ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would open up this Word to us tonight, that our hearts might burn within us as we come to realize and believe and appreciate what our Lord has done for us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, in our passage this evening, brothers and sisters, we have summarized for us what perhaps was the most exciting Bible lesson that ever occurred. How many of us over the years have said, oh, that I could have been with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and heard what Jesus told them. 
Uh, every uh, seminary student who's ever done any Old Testament study says, how I wish I could have been there. I would have been this, this expert to uh, unpack the scriptures to others. And, and so the risen Lord, for a portion of the day, spent time with Cleopas and this other unnamed disciple, and he took them through the Bible. He took them through the scriptures and explained to them all that the Bible had said about him though they didn't realize it was him until he had departed at this point. Now, we've said that before, I think. How I wish I could be there on the road to Emmaus with these men, and how I wish I could have been in their home. But I do want to remind us that we have the New Testament. And the New Testament is the product of these holy men who spoke to us Uh, those apostles that the Lord Jesus Christ authorized to speak. And do remember that these apostles spent 40 days conversing with Jesus before his ascension about the kingdom of God and the things that had happened. So I think we actually get a lot of it uh, in the New Testament, perhaps not everything that was said on the road. Uh, But I want us to be encouraged that we we, we have a very good uh, portion that our Lord Jesus has given to us in the New Testament. And so, uh, you may have heard uh, in the past uh, the well-known proverb of Augustine when he was speaking about the Old and New Testaments. He, he put it this way, and I'll repeat it for you so it's clear. And he's contrasting the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament as he says this. He says this, The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And what Augustine was saying is that you can find the basic basic truths of the New Testament in the Old Testament, but they're not as clear. But as you come to the New Testament, the Old is revealed to us in all of its clarity. All the things that we perhaps weren't able to make as good of sense of, now are all the clearer with the New Testament revelation that we've been given. So we're going to learn this evening in this interaction a lot about how to think about the Bible and the, the purpose of the Bible Uh, the value of the Bible, and how we should read the Bible. So that'll be something of what we focus upon. But I'm going to divide our passage into three portions, and uh, here are the three portions that we'll look at. The first portion is we're going to observe the sadness of these disciples because they had an incomplete puzzle. They had an incomplete gospel in terms of what they were summarizing, so they were sad as they talked to Jesus until Jesus explained these things to them. The second topic we will look at is how Jesus revealed the gospel by teaching to them Moses and the prophets and revealing all that the Old Testament had said about him. And then the third topic is we'll consider what effect this had upon those men. As Jesus departs, they say, our hearts burned within us as he revealed the scriptures. So we'll think about the effect that spiritual understanding of the scriptures should have upon us as we confront and come face to face with the truth of the Word of God. So, let's look first at Cleopas and the unnamed disciple and how and why they were sad. (laughs) All four of the Gospels contain resurrection accounts, and without exception, they all record a sense of shock and surprise and disbelief on the part of the disciples and the women and the others. Uh, the women were, it seemed to be, the most believing when they first heard the news, but the other men often were doubting. And what was happening in the resurrection was so amazing to them that, as we have the phrase, we would say it was too good to be true. Of course, it was true. 
it was that good, but it was also true. Uh, But that's what we struggle with at times. When we get such good news, we struggle to believe it. Perhaps we're too used to the bad news in so many cases. Uh, Even in Matthew 28, as Jesus is about to ascend to the right hand of God, we read this in Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They're, they're worshiping him. They seem to be receiving something of the truth of this resurrection. But some are doubting. They're still saying, can I believe my eyes? Is this really the risen Christ? Uh, they struggled to believe these things. And so it's not a surprise, as you read about Cleopas and the unnamed disciple, that they're sad and they think it's all a big failure and they haven't grasped the truth. And they even heard the news from the women. But they're still not believing it. So why were these disciples sad and disillusioned? Well, they weren't realizing what had actually taken place. On the first day of the week, Jesus had risen from the dead and a whole new world had dawned. A new age for the humanity and the, the world and human history had dawned. There was resurrection hope now. Death was a vanquished foe. Jesus is victorious. Sin is defeated. And these men don't get it yet. And that's when the risen Lord Jesus meets them on the road. Here in the flesh was the answer to their problem. Isn't it ironic how this this story unfolds? That they're sad about how Jesus failed, as it were, and Jesus is standing right before them. I just think it's kind of a, a funny story in that regard. And so they had a incomplete understanding of the gospel. They... They didn't have all the pieces, as we see. And let's look at how the conversation begins in verses 17 through 18. Jesus says to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another and as you walk and are sad? So he wants to know, why are you sad? This is a perfect opportunity for Jesus to bring them up to speed on what had actually taken place. And notice how Cleopas answers Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? You've got to love the irony here, because Cleopas is the one that does not actually know what has happened in Jerusalem, but he's telling Jesus, are you the only guy that doesn't know what happened? And he was the one that knew all that had happened far better than anybody else had. He was... Uh, It's so ironic, but I think that is the very point uh, for us to consider. And you see the mercy of Christ, you see his patience here. It's true that he rebukes them in a moment, but uh, he begins by, instead of uh, going right to uh, correcting them, he says, well, what things are you talking about? What, What things happen in Jerusalem that I don't know, as it were? And so Cleopas says, well, let me summarize for you what took place. And in verse 19 through 24, we see Cleopas's summary. And I want you to be uh, looking as I read this passage again, what puzzle pieces are missing here? What is Cleopas not getting? And he, that is Jesus, said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem israel indeed besides all this today is the third day since these things happened 
Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels and who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but we did them, him they did not see. We did not see Jesus is what he's saying. Uh, one of the commentators on Luke, uh, Michael Wilcock, he says, this is the gospel according to Cleopas. It is an incomplete gospel. There's a number of problems with uh, Cleopas' gospel, but first let's look at what he got right. Um, Jesus is a prophet. Check, that's correct. He was mighty indeed before uh, God and the people. Yes, check, that's correct. The chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be crucified. Correct, that happened as well. What is he missing? Well, two things are very evident. First thing is, he says, we hoped that he would redeem Israel. Cleopas, he did redeem Israel. The crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ, was the means by which he has redeemed Israel and the world. So that's the first thing. He does not understand the purpose of Christ's death here. But then the second problem is that he disbelieves the testimonies that he has already heard. He says, this is the third day. And of course, the rest of us are thinking, yeah, it's the third day. Don't you remember what Jesus said was going to happen? And he says, well, it's the third day. Uh, Jesus is dead. There was this vision. The women said that he was not found, uh, or that they saw, they saw the empty tomb, and the angels talked to them. But it didn't really happen, is in essence what he's saying to us at this point. He's still sad. If he had grasped the resurrection, he wouldn't be sad. And I, I think we see here in Cleopas a picture of the condition of so many who lack a spiritual understanding and a reception of the gospel. There's people that they, they hear something about Christ, but they don't receive the truth of it, and they're not joyful. They don't have any reason for hope in their lives because they haven't actually received the truth of the message. There are many who live lives of sadness and disillusionment with a sense of hopelessness because they are not grasping the spiritual, world-changing implication of Christ's resurrection for their lives. And of course, that's the case for unbelievers who do not understand the things of God. They do not discern spiritual things. But I would say that even for believers, which Cleopas appears to be a believer here, we can get into this Cleopas-like syndrome, we might call it, of forgetting the implications of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, can you relate to Cleopas at all in terms of how he's thinking and how he's feeling? He's just sad. He just thinks, all is lost, woe is us, there's no victory, uh, Jesus didn't really win, didn't seem to work out. And that, this is how any of us, I think, could probably at times fall into. Uh, we sometimes call it the Eeyore syndrome, but that's, that's another kind of picture for us, is just sad, down kind of hopeless, not hopeful about the future. And that is Cleopas right here. He, he doesn't grasp the resurrection. And we, we need to learn from this example that we might find hope in the Scriptures and in the reminder of what the resurrection of Christ means for us on a day-to-day -day basis. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we do not live lives in vain. Because Jesus rose from the dead, our labor for the Lord is not in vain, the Scriptures say. 
Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we can too walk in newness of life, the scriptures say. And because Jesus rose from the dead, one day all our doubts, all our sorrows, our infirmities, our sins will be done away with forever. That problem that is in your life right now, it is not going to last forever, is what the resurrection of Christ declares to you. It will come to an end in due time. When the glorified Christ returns and resurrects us, all that will be gone. Yes, we have to deal with it for a while, for now. As, as Paul says, it is a, a relatively short time in light of eternity. So I, I want to encourage all of the sad Cleopases out there that there is hope. Jesus has risen from the dead. Therefore, we can live lives of hope as well. So now Jesus, he, he says, he comes to the point of rebuke. It's, a, it's of course, a, a, a loving rebuke, uh, but it, it's rather direct in terms of what he says in verse 25. Listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Uh, Jesus here is lovingly speaking to them. And of course, at this point, they still don't uh, recognize who he is. Keep that in mind. It's just some uh, person that's uh, correcting them. And then they're saying, well, what, what is it that you have to show us? And of course, then Jesus uh, unveils the scriptures to them. But I want you to notice what Jesus says to them here. It is noteworthy that he rebukes them. And it's noteworthy that he calls them foolish for not understanding these things. Notice that Jesus does not say something like this. Hey guys, that's not a surprise that you didn't realize that Old Testament taught these things. I I could understand if I was in your shoes that I wouldn't have understood it either. Anybody could have missed it. Let me tell you about it. He doesn't say that. He says, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. There's some... Uh, understanding of their responsibility here. They have a responsibility to understand the Bible and its implications for what's happening right now. Our Lord assumes that these men should have known something and understood something of what the Scriptures said about the Messiah. They should have been somewhat up to speed on God's purposes and the Lord's death and resurrection, but they were not. I think this is a good reminder for us that God has graciously given us his word and we are responsible. We are, it is our duty and our privilege to read the Bible and grow in our understanding of it. And there may be times when we uh, have to rebuke one another like, it's rather foolish for you to think that. Haven't you read the Bible? Uh, there's times where it should be the case that we know the answer to certain things because the word of God has given it to us. But I would also point out that the problem with these disciples was not merely an intellectual problem. It wasn't because they didn't know their Hebrew very well, or it wasn't because they had not taken a class on biblical typology and understanding types in the Old Testament. It's not as if they had just been to a seminary class that they would have gotten it and they would have been up to speed and everything would have been okay. Notice that Jesus does not say, Oh, slow of mind to understand. He says, oh, slow of heart to believe. So it's not merely an intellectual problem. And yes, there is an intellectual component to learning about the Bible and understanding it rightly. We're not just putting that aside. But it's a faith 
problem for these men. It is a belief issue in their hearts. They've heard the news. They, they know something of what the scriptures have said, but again, they don't want to receive the good news that has been delivered to them. It's too good to be true. And so there are times where we get solid instruction in the Bible, we, we gain a right understanding of the Scriptures, and we go deeper and deeper, and that's very good for us to do that. We should exercise ourselves in the understanding of Scripture. But if our hearing and our learning is not united with faith, it does not profit us. You remember the wilderness generation uh, in Hebrews 4 verse 2, the um, the writer to the Hebrews, he, he says that the problem with that generation was their, the way in which they heard the word of God. He says this, For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. And so it is very important that not only do we grow in our our intellectual understanding of the Scriptures, but that we confront our faith problem in believing the Scriptures or or struggling to believe the Scriptures. It is good for us to confess, Lord, I read this promise in Your Word, but I struggle to believe it. Help my unbelief. I have a faith problem as I read Your Word. I read it, I understand it, but I struggle to believe it. You remember that in the case of the Sadducees, their problem was, was twofold. They, they did not know the Scriptures nor the power of God. Uh, their conception of the power of God was too small. They said, resurrection? That's never going to happen. The Bible doesn't teach that. But if they had, had faith, and if they had read the Scriptures rightly, they would have seen resurrection is, is found throughout the Scriptures. It's quite clear. And so our faith problem, as we read the Word of God, must be resolved by a supernatural work of God. It must be revealed to us. We need the Holy Spirit's illumination. We need the Holy Spirit's help to understand and to believe the Scriptures. And that's why we say with the psalmist, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes, and open my eyes continually that I might understand it. And this reminds us of the essential need for us to read and to read with prayer. Do you read the Word of God united with prayer? Do you pray for understanding as you read the Scriptures? And so let us learn to read the Scriptures diligently in concert with prayer because it is essential that God would help us to understand and to believe. Now we come to uh, verses 26 and 27. And Jesus here, he he begins to unfold the Scriptures to them. He says, Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter His glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Uh, The beginning word of verse 26, it comes across, I think, a bit too weak in the English, but the the Greek word is, is it, it was necessary... It is the word of necessity, of divine necessity by God's ordination. And Jesus is saying, it was necessary that the Christ would suffer and enter into his glory because the scriptures had said those things would take place. Jesus is saying that the scriptures prophesied both of these pivotal events. 
And so then our Lord, he begins with Moses. Uh, I wonder what passage he began with. Did he begin in Genesis? Probably did. Uh, but then you know, working his way through Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, uh, working his way into the prophets, he's unfolding for them all the things that the Old Covenant Scriptures had said, and particularly the fact that the Old Covenant Scriptures said the Christ must suffer and the Christ will then enter into his glory. Now, what we find here is a biblical justification to read the Old Testament scriptures looking for Jesus and the things of Jesus in it. We are justified, we are on good grounds to go to the Old Covenant scriptures and to look for Jesus. The Old Covenant scriptures, they reveal the person and work of Christ with clarity, though not with the same clarity that the New Testament reveals Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, we, we learn of Jesus through pictures, through events, through rituals and sacrifices and festivals and people. All these things show us Christ in different ways. Even when Jesus was speaking to the Jews in John 5.39, this is before his death and resurrection, he said to them, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And so I think this passage, we, we have a, a helpful interpretive key for us about how to approach the Old Covenant Scriptures. And in particular, we can be looking for the two things that Jesus said, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that will follow. And the glory that follows is a very, very big category of, of things that the Old Covenant Scripture speaks about. The glories that follow all are about his exaltation, his ascension, his reign over all things, and all that that reign brings about. There's so much there to unpack in terms of the glory that would follow his sufferings. It's interesting to me that Peter, when he writes his letter, he has the exact same two things he mentions about the Old Covenant Scriptures. He says in 1 Peter 1, verse 10, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand, here's the two things, of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And so that's very key to understanding all that the Old Testament brings to us. And so as we do this, as we look at the Old Covenant Scriptures looking for Christ, we will find them to be a goldmine of revelation concerning who our Savior Jesus is. And the truth is, in some way or another, all roads in Scripture lead to Christ. And I don't say this to recommend that we uh, allegorize the Old Covenant Scriptures in ways that violate their meaning or their intention. There are rules of interpretation that are important. But what I am saying is that in some way or another, every scripture is going to point us back to Jesus. You take even things like the civil laws of the Old Testament, and we're not going to read these civil laws in some bizarre way, allegorizing them, trying to find some Christ connection. But we will be reminded that even as we read the judicial laws of the Old Testament, that these remind us of our utter inability to keep the law of God and the seriousness of the consequences of sin and our need for a redeemer to fulfill the demands of the law. And there we are. We're back at Christ once again. Charles Spurgeon, he has a famous quote about this. He was once counseling a young Welsh minister who was seeking to preach the scriptures. And, and the illustration that Spurgeon used was this. He says, 
Young man from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. He says, no matter where you start, all roads lead to London. And so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the Scriptures, that is Christ. And my dear brother, your business is when you go to a text to say, now what is the road to Christ? And then preach a sermon running along the road to the great metropolis, Christ. And I have never yet found a text that has not got a road to Christ in it. There's always a way to bring us back to the core matters of the gospel of Christ as we preach the scriptures or read them. So we come now to the final topic this evening, which was the effect that our Lord's teaching had upon them as they understood the scriptures. They were filled with wonder at this man's teaching of the scriptures. They're probably thinking to themselves, how does this guy know all this stuff? Uh, this, they don't even know who he is yet, but where did this guy figure all this out? They were probably so shocked and astounded by all that they were learning that they just couldn't even respond, perhaps. And so they, they're loving this conversation, and they, so they say, would you come eat with us? Let's, let's keep this going. And so they go, go back to the, the home in Emmaus, and, and Jesus breaks bread with them. Look at verses 28 through 31. They drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, here's something I want us to observe from this unique passage about the disciples on the road. They don't recognize Jesus visually, because their eyes were kept from discerning him. But it's after they have come to understand Jesus through the Old Covenant Scriptures that Jesus reveals himself to them. It's after they've gotten this whole lesson, and as they're sitting down to break bread, suddenly... They see him. And, and there's different things that we could make of this. I think one application I was drawing uh, was, was that it is through the scriptures that we come to know Christ. We might think, oh, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just visually be with him, if I could have just gone back there to that time and I could have seen his miracles, I'd never have a faith problem in my life. Well, of course, these people did, so that's not true. But it's through the scriptures that they come to understand who Jesus is. And that is what God has given us as a very sufficient, a more than sufficient means that we might know our Savior as well. Now immediately after their eyes are opened, right when they discern who it is, Jesus disappears. That must have been very disappointing, right? If you finally recognize who Jesus is and now he's gone. Uh, of course, they had opportunity later on because this encourages uh, these two disciples to run back to Jerusalem. That's the next passage. They're going to run back. They're going to say, we saw Jesus. And the disciples are going to say, wait a minute. I don't know about that. And then Jesus will show up to them. And we'll get to that next week. But look at what effect this had upon, uh, upon the disciples. Verse 32. They said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. It's a valuable uh, picture of what effect the Word of God should have upon us as we come to receive it and believe it. It's as we see the unfolding harmony of God's revelation and we see the love that God has for us in Christ and we take that all in and we just, it should awaken our hearts to, to, to put those hearts up on fire 
uh, with joy, with excitement, with thanksgiving. Uh, and this is the effect that the Word of God had upon them. And, and it's our prayer every time we preach the Scriptures that people's hearts would be set on fire, that they would burn with uh, excitement and joy and reception of the truth. That we would have more of the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 119 when he says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. This is a man who loves the word of God. And so as we seek God in the scriptures, in connection with prayer, may it be our desire that we would ask God, Lord, open to me the scriptures. Make my heart to burn with a sense of appreciation and a sense of joy as I read what you have done for me in Christ. And so we can close in prayer now, asking that God would indeed do that for us this evening. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we praise you because you have done great things in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are so thankful to read of the resurrection of our Lord and, and how, uh, how he mercifully guided the disciples to understand the truth. And we, we desire to receive that this evening. We desire to, to believe in the resurrection, to believe in Christ who is risen. Um, and that our hearts also would burn with a sense of joy uh, as we come to recognize what you have done for us. So I pray that as we grow in Christ, that this would indeed be the effect upon us. And I pray this in the name of our Lord. Amen.